0: Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry every week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk.
1: And I'm Annie Kriegbaum.
0: Annie, how are you this week?
1: The same as I always am. How are you?
0: (laughs) Are you guys back in strict quarantine in New York?
1: No, it's creepy. Everything's like opening back up here. Really? Everybody should still be wearing masks, obviously, and sitting apart, but they're letting... Restaurants and bars take over the street parking area in front of their establishments (laughs) and they're building these like outdoor seating areas.
0: LA is completely back on lockdown. Mm. I mean like cases are surging and like there is a sense that it's like worse. I mean, there's a reality that it's worse than it has been. So I've just never, I haven't left my house in days really.
1: I'm going upstate to quarantine with two friends. For an indefinite period of time.
0: I was talking to some friends the other day and we were saying like maybe the next phase of like social interactions is that we sort of have to like make pacts or like contracts with people that like we're going to not see anyone else.
1: So you mean like deep interpersonal relationships where you take care of each other and respect each other's like health and bodies?
0: Exactly. I mean, I just think that it's where... I didn't realize until we went into quarantine how much, like, in-person social interactions meant to me and, like, fulfilled me. And now that I haven't had many, I am, like, desperate to figure out, like, to, like, game the system.
1: Nick, can I tell you something? Yeah. This is partly why I wanted to start this podcast with you. Why? So that we could talk all the time.
0: I know. (laughs) I mean, it, it is. it has been one fulfilling thing that, like, I've done because we, like, are, yes, we're doing it remotely, but at least we get to, like, talk and, like, look at the news and feel like there's forward momentum in some part of the world.
1: Yeah, and that we're, like, tapped into our industry when it's kind of a weird time to be working in beauty every, right now. When
0: everything feels like it's on hold.
1: Right, right, right.
0: I don't know. Should we get in? Well, first of all, we should let everyone know that we don't have an interview this week. But if you're interested in an interview, we have an interview that we posted on Tuesday with our friend Alexis Page about her experience with ketamine therapy. And instead of an interview for today's episode, we're just going to do a longer version of Top Stories and get a little bit more in depth and then have a little bit more time to do product reviews. And this is something we're going to do every so often when we feel like it because it's our podcast.
1: So let's get into our top stories.
0: So the first thing I thought we could talk about was BeautyCon and its CEO, Moj Madara. She's basically come under fire in the last few months for creating a toxic, allegedly, I should say, a toxic work environment for bullying. There have been allegations of harassment and just general malfeasance, I guess. And actually an Instagram account was just launched a few weeks ago called Beauty conned by Moj, in which former employees are sort of aggregating stories of mistreatment at the hands of Madara. So BeautyCon is a global fair that takes place in different cities across the world where basically people pay a ticket price to come and get access to a bunch of different booths that are run like any kind of a trade show where you can either meet a celebrity who is like, work, you know, say Patrick Starr, the influencer is working with Mac, like Mac will pay him to like sit there and do a meet and greet with, you know, kids who pay ticket prices to come meet him and you get free products, and it's like Comic-Con, but for beauty.
1: I actually read, I Googled this morning, what is BeautyCon? And <laughs> the first article that came up, so congratulations at your great SEO, mylifeparade.com. A woman named Megan wrote a review. She said it's like Disney World except for makeup. She went, there were lots of lines, lots of standing around, but she was really happy with the event overall. She said it's a super diverse crowd. I guess there's really little kids. And then there's like older drag queens and like she said it was super inclusive and she seemed to have a good time overall.
0: However, oh. she might be alone in <laughs> her. She might be alone in her positive feelings about the event. One commenter on the beauty Cond by Moj Instagram account said it was the most insane, manipulative, traumatic work environment I've ever experienced. It's been several years and I still fear retaliation. Glad this is all coming to light.
1: I'm looking at Screenshots from a Women's Wear Daily article. So this says, sources blame the internal company culture established by Madara, who excels at communicating both Beautycon's ethos of cool and her own personal brand to the public, but is said to lack operational expertise. The company is said to see repeated staff departures and annual layoffs consistent with the close of its festival season. A recent round of layoffs in September following the Los Angeles Festival in August is said by sources to have affected up to 70% of Beautycon's staff. Yeah, that sounds weird. It sounds like they're hiring full-time employees, having a festival and letting them go. Am I interpreting that correctly?
0: I think what's going on is that BeautyCon, you know, whose revenue is driven mostly by these in-person, in-real-life festivals or fairs in New York and L.A., Is totally screwed because of the coronavirus and apparently had been screwed long before that and had been, you know, there there were a lot of questions as to whether they had money, whether they were paying vendors on time. Mm -hmm. But as of today, there are still tickets being sold for BeautyCon in New York. Which is happening when? October 31st through November 1st. So basically, like they're making all their money on these events, and now they can't have events, and they're kind of screwed. And I think they tried to make a play to be a media company and like a content company, but I don't Mm. think it's necessarily worked. And it sounds like a pretty toxic work environment, according to Glassdoor reviews and self described former employees. Moj hasn't commented. On the situation. She's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place in some ways because what could she really say to make things better? The company's not performing.
1: It seems that people are even more upset by all this. Just when I'm reading on these comments and reviews people have about working there is there seems to be a big disparity between how Moj presents herself to the world and her flashy lifestyle. Yet it seems like they're not compensating people fairly and they're not treating them very well according to these anonymous reviews.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's something slightly wrong with trusting, you know, completely anonymous reviews that are, you know, that can't be confirmed Mm -hmm. by like a secondary source. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like there's enough people to like create an entire Instagram account. So there's likely some truth to the complaints and and what people are saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's also been two articles in Women's Wear Daily sort of chronicling the demise of BeautyCon. And I think... It also speaks to like the fact that culture in a startup, you know, we talked about this with Sharon Shooter, uh, culture is everything. And if you have a toxic culture, it's going to be really hard to motivate employees, to retain employees, to get investors. You know, she at one point apparently, or I should say at one point allegedly said, quote, I demand loyalty. I mean, Godfather like loyalty from all of you. You had better not be applying anywhere else because I will find out and you won't like that.
1: Oh, that's, no. a, that's a
0: quote from Moj, allegedly.
1: If that's true, that's terrifying. And also, I mean, if I have any advice for people who would ever hear anybody say something like that, like there's plenty of opportunity in the beauty industry, don't let anything like that, you know, break you. Again, all of this is allegedly. Is that going to replace our apparently?
0: Yeah, sometimes it's apparently we heard something and then sometimes it's allegedly.
1: And is that whether or not we can get um, a cease and desist letter or?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Depending on how litigious the subjects of our commentary might be.
1: Got it. This is reminding me of if we can rewind maybe two, was it two years ago, maybe two and a half. There was an Instagram account called Shit Model Management. I never saw that. It was pretty big. And they used to do memes that were pretty funny about like being a model in the, in the high fashion world. And, you know, it was funny at first, like going into castings and having awkward experiences or not having the right, you know, size of shoes to like walk in at shows or it was pretty funny, pretty niche too, obviously. <laughs> but then eventually she started getting stories from people that models who had been abused by photographers, stylists other people in the industry. The account creator basically compiled this list of women and their stories. And it ended up being basically like the shitty men in media list, but shitty men in fashion, mostly photographers. um, I mean, kind of ran the gamut from creepy Instagram photographer that DMs girls to do like a lingerie shoot in his apartment for his portfolio (laughs) to the Terry Richardson's of the world. This was when Bruce Weber was getting called out during the Me Too movement. He was on the list.
0: Was this the the driving force behind some of the like allegations that ended up surfacing in like the New York Times and all of that?
1: If it wasn't the driving force, I think it definitely fueled a lot of these conversations. But the scary thing is, for I think people that are taking this on that do decide to do these anonymous call out accounts, this person that ran shit model management account. Was sued or threatened with a lawsuit and had to remove all the information and deactivate the account. And I, I'm not quite sure like how that ended up for them.
0: It's like a complicated thing. We actually want to do an episode on cancel culture in the beauty industry and not take not necessarily taking the you know stance that cancel culture is a bad thing, but just investigating you know, how does it work? What are the dynamics of these anonymous beauty collectives, whether it's Estee Laundry, or beauty conned by Moj or shit model management, like how much power should they have? But there I mean, I think what's interesting is that there are not only these accounts that are kind of like collectives of people who've worked at different organizations that have allegedly toxic cultures. But I think there's also a whole subset of Instagram accounts that cover like the beauty influencer drama. So like the James Charles, Shane Dawson, Tati Westbrook, all of that stuff. There are people who sort of breathlessly chronicle the attempted cancellations and the actual cancellations of these people. And I think it'd be an interesting topic to delve into if we can get any of these people to talk.
1: So on this exact subject, a similar thing is happening at Yoga to the People. The call-out account is at Y-T-T-P Shadow Work. And yeah, it's another one of these Instagram accounts with anonymous stories about how people were treated while working at the legendary Yoga to the People
0: I know that I've been to the one in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, and they have one in the East Village. Mm-hmm. It used to be, you know, in the 2000s, the early-ish 2000s, it was like a very Chic, cool, cool place to do yoga. It was free and like you might see an Olsen there. Yes,
1: that was the lore of Yoga to the People. <laughs> if you wanted to see an Olsen, which you always want to see an Olsen, I mean, who can deny that?
0: Yeah, no one can deny the the potential pleasure of seeing an Olsen.
1: To be in this inclusive space with their like crocodile. I'm sure they had crocodile like yoga mats. (laughs) This account has, you'll be able to know that this is the one because it's mostly just like black backgrounds with white and red text. And they have cover photos over all the carousel posts on Instagram that kind of give you an idea of what's inside. So I'll just read out. The words on the covers of these posts, trigger warning, manipulation, manipulation, homophobia, racial discrimination, sexual misconduct, lots of manipulation, lots of gaslighting, sexual misconduct. Again, these are anonymous. You wonder why somebody would want to do it anonymously if this is all true and substantiated. At the same time, a lot of these I think complaints are not necessarily things that are illegal. I think, unfortunately, our society creates these like gray areas to where these really bad things can happen. And so there's really no legitimate channel for people to go through to solve these issues and report these abuses. So that's why this is happening. These anonymous accounts on Instagram are happening.
0: And the fear of retribution Or retaliation is real. Like I, I still think in today's world, if a model was calling out another photographer who hadn't yet been called out, like she probably wouldn't be hired by, you know, other photographers because they would be worried that something, that you know, you you could say on the one hand, like if you don't do anything wrong, you have nothing to worry about. But on the other hand, like fashion, and I, I read an article recently by Jacob Bernstein about Stephen Gann, the the, uh, editor-in-chief of V Magazine Mm -hmm. and the former creative director of Harper's Bazaar, which basically said that if you pull the curtain back on the fashion industry, you're going to see so much unprofessional behavior and so much racism and sexism and misogyny, and no one's really acting appropriately. Everyone's going to be guilty.
1: The audience is to this content are complicit. I mean, you made a really good point. We Do you remember getting dinner when the Terry Richardson stuff was going on? And your whole point was, so people who are not familiar with Terry Richardson that are listening to this podcast right now, his style is like super bright on camera flash, lots of personality in his subjects. He shot everyone from, you know, Miley Cyrus to Obama to every high fashion model from like the early 2000s up until like a few years ago. And his shoots were like very sexually charged. They felt like a very like party type environment. And his reputation was kind of known as that guy. And
0: he also did personal work in which he like had models giving him blowjobs. And like...
1: There's photos of him with like his foot in like a girl's mouth and she has mascara running down her face and at the time we were all like oh this is like just like edgy art it's sexy this is sex this is raw this is real and like why weren't any of us looking at that being like think of what might be going to this girl's head you know how can we tell from this one millisecond of a photo that she's consenting to this she's not sweating tears coming down her eyes because she's having a good time you know as as viewers we were all complicit in this and that sort of party, hipster lifestyle. You know, this was back when American Apparel was huge. Same same thing there. Were we complicit in it as as people who were either being marketed to by this content or people that went to Terry's Diary or whatever.com to, to look at those photos?
0: I mean, I think so. And I think that, you know, a lot of what a lot of us have had to do during the Me Too movement and with the Black Lives Matter movement is like, look at our ourselves and our behavior and look at sort of where we were and have been and continue to be complicit in whether it's you know white supremacy or it's misogyny it's deeply ingrained in our society and all of our like institutions and
1: and just because it's like a powerful person that gets really great work and has really amazing clients or whatever that doesn't mean that they're not doing horrible things constantly i mean that's just yeah. that's not a co-sign by all these brands that this is a good person I think now we understand that, no, that's a system that's enabling this behavior.
0: Yeah. And I think also like bringing it back to like the beauty world or like the startup sort of fashion beauty style world. A lot of these companies are started by young people who have a really great idea and are not trained managers Mm -hmm. of people. And Mm -hmm. so there's a certain amount of learning on the job that people have to do when you, you know, say had an idea for a beauty product, it ends up becoming super successful. Like, you know, Lisa Price, for example, was making products in her kitchen, and then it caught fire. Not literally. No, not literally. Like her brand got really popular. Her brand got really popular. (laughs) And Lisa ended up being a fantastic manager and obviously a fantastic business person. But I think some people put in that situation aren't. And then this is what you get. You get these anonymous collectives of people and you get allegations of abuse. You get allegations of mistreatment, misconduct, because there's not good management.
1: Next top story from this week, Lululemon has acquired the at-home exercise startup called Mirror for $500 million.
0: And this is basically a, it's a mirror that you like put against a wall and it streams exercise classes to your living room. So it's like the Peloton bike, but as a mirror.
1: Exactly. And then you pay, I guess, a $39 a month membership for unlimited classes for up to six users in your home. It's the next wave of working out, I guess. People are scared to go to gyms.
0: With good reason. As someone who's tried to work out in the little gym we have in our building in a mask it's like incredibly hard obviously it's necessary but i think just the the whole idea of working out in a gym right now is pretty unpleasant and or scary mm-hmm. and so buying one of these whether it's the mirror or like a peloton bike or the rower the rower that i have the hydro where you kind of like feel like you're socially connected to someone who's like instructing you but you're at home in the safety of your own home is Interesting.
1: I actually went with an analog machine. It's called the Zizer. It's two pedals on the ground. It's really heavy.
0: It's like those two little steps, right?
1: Right. Um, And my
0: issue with these things is like they're so fucking boring.
1: No, this is the thing. You're just
0: sitting in your apartment, like stepping up and down for half an hour. You're not
1: sitting, you're stepping.
0: That doesn't sound like working out.
1: Okay, Nick, not all of us can have a hydro rower in our apartment. This thing takes up maybe like two cubic feet of space.
0: I mean, I think, can you rent the mirror? I rent, I mean, I effectively like have leased the Hydro. So it's, mm, you know, a certain, out. it's like a hundred. <laughs> I don't exactly own my Hydro. <laughs> um, no, it's like you pay like, you know, $120 a month for, you know, 36 months or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a way to make it much more affordable than a gym membership. I think what's interesting about Lululemon's acquisition of Mirror is that it really speaks to this being the present and the future. This idea that people aren't going to be going to gyms and this idea of group fitness classes like Rumble Boxing or Barry's Boot Camp or cycle maybe the, their days are numbered because we have these ways to bring the classes to your house and it's more convenient, it's safer. Yes, you know certain things that we do will come back once there's a vaccine for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But I think certain behaviors will be kind of ingrained by that point.
1: Does this mean that all personal trainers or, I guess, people that would normally teach a class in person are now like shifting to become content creators?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at Akin, who is a famous soul cycle instructor in New York City who started his own fitness group class brand called Army, with Angela Davis, who is a famous SoulCycle instructor in Los Angeles. She and Akin started this company called Army right before coronavirus hit. And he's been doing streaming classes on Instagram Live every single day since the beginning of quarantine. You know, effectively, his channel is just content. And I I mean, I think that the future of personal trainers is probably just like getting a dark room and a good ring light and like, you know, doing virtual training sessions.
1: How's he getting paid just by doing it through Instagram stories.
0: I mean, I've seen some coaches who are doing Instagram live fitness, like asking for, you know, pay what you can donations. Some are doing it for free. I think, you know, people can't support themselves without some sort of income. So I think we're going to see more pay for play versions of this.
1: So Nick, this next story, which I haven't seen anybody really write about it yet, but it's more just something I'm noticing in the same way that you walk down the spring after the snow has started to melt and you see the little buds emerging from the tree branches and, you know, life is happening again. I've been seeing on Instagram a lot of the editorial makeup people that I follow or models, they're back on set and it just warms my heart. They're having shoots again.
0: I've seen some photographers even flying from New York to LA and they're wearing like full hazmat suits with shields and masks and they're checking everyone's temperature at the door. They're trying to do socially distant photography. So like if you've seen a lot of pictures that have come out recently in like celebrity profiles, it's like everything is from a distance and like in their backyard because that's that's the reality of, of how this can be done.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. It just makes me really happy.
0: A return to some sense of normalcy. So that's a good thing.
1: It's a good thing. That's a good thing.
0: As long as everyone's being safe.
1: As long as they're being safe, which from what I'm seeing, it looks like they are.
0: This is something that I wanted to just mention, and I don't think we have that much to say about it. But I just read that there is a company called Perfect Day, which has developed a process of creating dairy proteins in a lab. By fermentation rather than using milk to create these proteins, which means that they'll be able to create a milk alternative that is the same as cow dairy, but doesn't involve cows. So we've taken the cow out of the equation, and I know this sounds crazy, but apparently they're onto something because they just raised $300 million to make this product.
1: Do people hate almond milk that much?
0: I mean, it separates in iced coffee.
1: No, I, you know, funny you should say that because I splurged and got the creamy version of an almond milk and I was very pleased with it this morning. I mean,
0: I think people are into oat milk, but it's kind of devoid of any good nutrients. And if you can get protein from this quote unquote dairy source without the environmental impacts or the social impacts of, of using cows, that's interesting. And obviously... A lot of people are betting on this future.
1: So now let's move on to everybody's favorite part of the show.
0: Product reviews. So this product review starts with a story, which is that a few months ago, I got the Morpheus 8 laser treatment, which is a it's a micro needling treatment. Basically, radio frequency energy is driven through 24 needles that are consistently like punctured your skin
1: are you sure this is like a beauty thing
0: yeah it is it it's sounds like a in-
1: government program that <laughs> <laughs> you've like been in
0: it's like the like chip that kanye west was talking about Everyone getting from the government? Yeah. I mean, it could be I just was microchipped or I could have gotten this skin tightening treatment called Morpheus 8. Anyway, it's super painful and you you have to have a really high pain tolerance to do it, but it can help reduce the appearance of fine lines and sagging and things like that.
1: For people who are not married to somebody that does this, how much does it cost?
0: It's like around... a treatment, and you have to do like three or four treatments, I think.
1: That's where they get you.
0: That's where they get you. It's the multiple treatments. Anyway, if you have sensitive skin or you have skin that reacts to 24 needles puncturing your face over and over again, Mm. which some people do, some people don't, you have a higher risk of getting hyperpigmentation, which I got around my eyes I was turned on to this product by the esthetician Sean Garrett, who was talking about it on his Instagram. He's one of the estheticians that I follow, whose opinion I trust wholeheartedly. And he was talking about this PCA Skin Pigment Gel, and he recommended it for hyperpigmentation. There is hydroquinone in this version of the product, but there's also a version of the pigment gel that does not have hydroquinone. Um, My skin type is okay with hq but if you have a skin type that is not you know there's an option for you it also has lactic acid azaleic acid and kojic acid which also all help with hyperpigmentation and it's a really light gel i put it on every other day before i go to bed and it's really helped fade some of the hyperpigmentation that i got as a result of getting this laser so i don't know you know ultimately whether the laser brought more problems than it did solutions to my skin so my PCA skin pigment gel is $64 on PCA com, And, uh, you know, you use very little because it's a spot treatment and it really works. So I think it's worth it.
1: And we'll know more about whether this needle ramming laser has worked for you in six to eight months.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I have to get two more treatments and then I'll be able to report back.
1: I mean, Nick, I think you always look incredible. So whether that's because you're shoving, you know, these devices in and on your skin or whether it's just because you're naturally beautiful.
0: I'll basically try anything because I feel like it's either a good treatment or a good story.
1: I love that about you. On to me. I guess my decision was made for me this week because I ran out of a product, which someone that, like I said, last week's episode has a suitcase full of Japanese and K-beauty under her bed that um, I haven't been able to get through in the four years since i brought it home.
0: It's probably all expired.
1: Nick, can we just inject some positivity into the conversation for once?
0: Yes. That's awesome that you um, curate things like that.
1: Thank you. And, you know, also have gotten like sent a lot of products over the years, which also I'm still (laughs) working through. I do throw those away or I give them away. I give away a lot of products. I will say that. This product that I finished this week and I bought with my own money, which is surprising because it's very expensive, is called Christina Holy Plus Marie Veronique Soothing B3 Serum. And where are my skincare junkies at? Because this has 10% niacinamide. And everyone knows niacinamide, it will be there for you. This bottle, you can tell it's seen some shit. I use it in the morning My skin has been, especially at the start of quarantine, was really terrible. It was breaking out a ton. And I don't think it was just the mask. I think it was because I was sitting at home with nothing to do and and picking at my skin (laughs) to give myself a little project, you know. And, yeah, it just immediately, I use it now every morning after I wash my face. I put it on all the red areas. I get red around, like, my nose.
0: It helps with inflammation. Inflammation,
1: calms your skin, cleans it out. So it is an all-natural product, whatever that means nowadays. Fragrance-free. You do have to shake it up. And yeah, you just pump it out. It's like very watery. It's a dark brown serum that does look like it was made in somebody's kitchen. But Marie Veronique, I think, is very well-respected as like a all-natural skincare brand. And yeah, apparently I really liked it.
0: And did you find that it actually helped with redness and all that stuff that it claims to do?
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean... I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling of like, you've had a really bad you know, breakout weeks, whatever. And then your skin kind of starts clearing up, kind of starts clearing up. And then that first day where you're like, you don't even have to wear any concealer or anything to go out. And that's been my life with, with this guy.
0: How much is it? Do we know?
1: We do know. Are you sitting down? It's $90 and it's one ounce, well, $90 for one ounce of serum. Ooh.
0: Okay, that's it for this week's episode of Eyewitness Beauty. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty or write us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com.
0: Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abranowitz and our theme music is by Danny Prezant.
1: We'll be back next week with another brand new episode, so we will talk to you then.
0: Hasta la vista, baby.
1: Stay dewy, my friends.